The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. Okay, here's a bit of uh, trivia for you. <laughs> In addition to the Recruiters Lounge, myself and Karen Matten produced a mini-series called HR Smackdown, where we tackle the most controversial HR issues of the day. It was short-lived because we decided to just incorporate uh, these hot topics into our regular podcast, The Recruiters Lounge. Anyway, uh, this episode of The Retro Lounge is from our HR Smackdown series, and it was, as promised, quite controversial. Here's the original title and description. The title, The Burka Blues. Here's the description. Jim and Karen fight like cats and dogs over burkers in the workplace. Karen thought it was fine. Jim, not so much. And what was intended as a 15-minute segment turned into an hour-long verbal slugfest. <laughs> Still, even with all that, Jim and Karen managed to cite other stories in the news, like the Arizona controversy and recruiters who landed in hot water after pursuing what they thought was easy money. Who thought charging people for job seeker assistance could go so horribly wrong? Well, tune into this podcast drama that is the HR Smackdown, part of the Retro Lounge, after this special message. Dun, dun, dun. Employer brand professionals know that doing great work involves doing big, high-level strategic thinking and getting your hands dirty. If that sounds like the kind of work you want to do, come listen to the Talent Cast. It's the world's most highly caffeinated employer brand podcast. Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We, we out. out. Hey, do you need a public speaker for your next meeting or event? If so, email me. You can catch me via email at jimstroud, J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D, at jimstroud.com. I speak a lot about the future of work, and my latest speech, Big Brother in the Office, is one sure to raise eyebrows. Here's uh, some of what you can expect. Fifteen minutes ago, the world changed. Social media has caused, or greatly contributed to, a mental health epidemic. As a result, companies have to hire smart in order to protect their interests. So what are they turning to? Well, advanced technologies that monitor the emotional fitness of their workers, artificial intelligence scanning the faces of candidates for truth, microchipping employees, and other means. All of these methods may improve overall efficiency and the bottom line of the enterprise, but at what cost? When does the collection and tracking of employee data go too far? How much privacy should an interviewee or an employee expect to have? And most importantly, how will these practices affect the future world of work? In my presentation, uh, I point out a few things. I point out just how far technology has progressed and what you can expect to see in the very near future. 
I discussed the pros and cons of leveraging this cutting edge technology like uh, biometrics, for example. And then I also discussed the societal impact of present day surveillance techniques in recruitment practices and the overall world of work. If you like the type of futuristic topics I discuss here in my podcast, then you will love the information I share in my presentation, Big Brother in the Office. Email me now and let's talk about it. Again, my email address, Jim Stroud, G-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D at jimstroud.com. Operators are standing by. Launching an innovation in HR tech is no small feat. With all of the noise and countless vendors in the market, sometimes the most promising innovations don't get the chance they deserve to impact HR. And while early and growth stage founders are highly innovative, most aren't experts at scaling revenue to drive growth and support their vision, which can mean the end of the road for many startups. That's where Pure ACV comes in. We've had the great fortune of working with some of the most innovative brands in HR tech for over three decades to build compelling messaging and solid scalable teams that drive growth, giving these innovations a chance to impact how HR is done. To learn more, visit us at pureacv.com. You're the HR manager, uh, the VP of HR at Exxon. Uh-huh. You hire an executive, and they came to the interview um, in, let's say, normal, or, well, not say normal, but in the, in the stereotypical American business suit. Right? Uh-huh. And then over the weekend, they converted to Islam, and they came back and wearing a burqa. That's a woman's, actually, it would be a she, not a he, but go ahead. Okay. Um, and everyone in the office for lack of a better term, freaked out. Uh-huh. We're not comfortable working with somebody who has, who's covering up everything from head to toe. We don't know who this person is, or we just feel uncomfortable. Are you with all the, okay, with all the women wearing burkas in the workplace here in America today, you honestly think that that's, okay, go ahead, though, go ahead. Listen, let me finish it before you start talking about it. Go ahead, go ahead. I think if people, multiple complaints come to you saying we're not comfortable with this, Uh-huh. How would you respond as the VP of HR in that situation? This is the HR Smackdown. HR Smackdown. HR Smackdown. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, time for another action-packed HR Smackdown. I'm your host with the most, Jim Stroud, and with me is always my faithful West Indian companion, Karen Madden. How are you, Karen? I haven't been called that in a long time, West Indian. I'm actually American now, thank you. <laughs> what? I like that. I like that. So I'm going to say my faithful American companion, because you know how I feel about that. Well, but, yeah. And by the way, may, may okay. I make a comment to people who think I'm anti-American? My ex-husband, okay, I've got a plaque from the U.S. government for helping watch my ex-husband serve 20 years digitally when I was married him, diligently, sorry, um, for his military career, and we spent most of our time overseas. And yes, it was during the first Gulf War. So thank you. Okay, I got a, a great plaque from the armed services saying thank you for being a wonderful dependent wife. Yeah, well, alrighty then. Yeah, uh, exactly. Believe me, uh, that was hard enough. By the way, does that make me love? Now, question is, does that make me love America? Hmm. You should love America just for five virtues of, of being here. Love it or leave it is what I always say. I love America because I chose to, well, I chose to become an American. Here's that. I chose because I do appreciate America. There you and go. You know what? I am I'm proud to be American just 
just in general. And and I, one thing I say that for people who haven't maybe heard this on previous shows or don't know, we had a debate on one of our show. Well, in the other podcast we should do, we had a debate about when will it, the designation of the dash before American ever go away? Will we ever just be just plain American? Will it ever be just instead of African American, just American instead of Chinese American? Um, I'm the one who's always said that to you, but. At the same time, and I'd like to go ahead and bring something up about that. I'd like to bring something about that. My husband, okay, he is a white man, blonde hair, blue eyes, and his family from Denmark and Amsterdam, okay? My husband's a third-generation American. My kids, because their father is Hispanic, Mexican actually, but he's himself third-generation my kids are fourth-generation American because of him, and yet my kids, which means that they're more American than my husband is, my current husband, but yet my kids are considered to be Mexican rather than American. When you say third and fourth generation, explain that because I don't understand that. That's not something I hear all the time. Okay. My, let's, okay, my kids through me are first-generation American because I just got my citizenship. Well, I got my citizenship now, so that would make them like almost second generation, but they're actually first-generation. I mean, they're the first generation to be born American, okay? And then if they have kids, then their kids are, which my daughter does, her kid is second-generation American via me. But via her father, her kid is actually fifth-generation American, even though she looks and so it looks Mexican. She'd be considered Mexican in America's standards, even though in all shape, way, or form, she is born in America, and she's the fifth generation of American via her grandfather. Uh, Ironic how that is. Okay. Well, and the problem I, is, it's I, like, I, let's, well, let's take what's going on in Arizona, okay? And I was thinking about this last night. I actually dreamt about this. You know, and I was thinking about doing a poll on Harrisentrics. I was going to put a picture of a person with beautiful blonde, I mean, beautiful red, flaming hair, with blue eyes. Wait, wait. Tell people Harrisentrics for those people who don't know what that is. Harrisentrics is the website for employment and recruiters to come and learn about our industry. And how would it get to that site? X. And that's higher, H-I-R-E, HireCentrics.com. Okay. Everything's centered around the employment and recruiting industry, okay? Well, anyways, what I was thinking about doing was putting a poll picture up and saying which of these are the American citizens. They have a picture of a person with red flaming hair, and the next part next to them would be a person who looks Mexican or Hispanic. Let me rephrase that. Sorry, Hispanic looks Hispanic. I don't want to say the word Mexican, but they look Hispanic, dark Hispanic, not light Hispanic. And I was going to ask, which of these are the, the illegals? Which of these are, is the what? Which of these is a terrorist? Because there's a lot. In fact, just recently they just got a terrorist who was a white American. Okay? And, you know, and then show that the American was the individual who was actually Hispanic. And it's so, what, so easy. So what's the point of, of that? What's the point of the diatribe? What, what was the point? Well, like the what, point of my diatribe right now is that here in America, we assume they have this new law that came out in Arizona that says they have the right to profile anyone that looks just like looks illegal. And I'm like, okay, what exactly does look illegal is? Because here in California, we have a tremendous amount of individuals who are illegal from Canada 
We have a tremendous number of people who are illegal from the Caribbean, okay, that are black. Wait, people from Canada sneak over to to America? Oh, we America has over eight. Uh, what was that? Like, I think it was like uh, about eight to ten million are illegal, and they said a good twenty to thirty percent were from Canada. From Canada alone, from other North America, yeah. I don't, I don't associate Canadians with people being illegal immigrants. That's the problem. You don't. What about people from Ireland? Do you know we have a lot of people from Ireland and England and Great Britain who are illegal? That's not a stereotype I'm used to hearing about. Well, that's just, in fact, a one, one of my comments on my wall on Facebook, somebody brought that up, how these Irish people are in Brooklyn and New York and all these other places taking all these jobs, like bartenders and stuff like that. And I thought that was kind of humorous, but he was making a point because well, when I – You say New York, then, yeah, okay. okay that, now that rings a bell. Yeah, in New York, you see that. In, and then here in the Caribbean, we – I mean, here in California, we have a tremendous number of people who are also illegal from India, Pakistan. Now that that I can see too, but when you say Ireland, it didn't cl- it didn't click to me unless if I was in New York, I probably would have said, oh yeah. Okay, but, uh, yeah, but the thing about it is, just like well, hey, you know, when you told me that you guys in South have a lot of people who are immigrants from Mexico that may be illegal, I'm, that didn't click with me or resonate either, by the way, because I think mostly West Coast when it comes to that, you know, because of the border being here. But no, I hear that I hear I hear either Hispanic descent or. Um, Asian, more, uh, more Korean. More about illegal immigrants, immigrants here being Hispanic, Korean, or Indian. We have a lot from South America. We have a very, here in America, let's just say as a whole, we have a tremendous number from South America. And a lot of people don't recognize there's a lot of people in South America, just like in people from Mexico, who are white. People, people don't all have brown skin or look Indian who are from Mexico. And not all illegals are going to be brown skin. There are people who are black from the Caribbean who are illegal. So when somebody says, I'm going to stereotype an individual and say, oh, well, they're here illegal because they look illegal, what does illegal look like? How well, what you, well, what better argument are people playing, saying that they're, they're playing these statistics, that statistically speaking, a certain demographic and a certain age fits it's the, uh, statistical. Uh, that's not true. Because there's no such thing as a certain demographic. There are young babies. There are also old people who are all fit into that demographic. So you're looking at people who are in the 70s all the way down to two years old. There's no specific demographic or even, and, and even age. You're not looking. Okay, there's no specific age. There's no specific education. Because here's another fact that most people don't know. Do you know the people from Mexico are actually have a better and a more higher educated than we are percentage per capita? They have more better college. They have better college education than we do per capita. I think that depends on what city. I think it's like Reynosa or something. It was all together. Let's use Mexico per. We were talking Mexico per capita. We're talking Mexico per capita versus America per capita. And that's just, um, and are their education, even their high school education and elementary school education was way above American standards. I'm not basing this on let's go ahead and be mean to America. I'm being factual here. These are actual statistics that came from the universe, um, from United Nations and other national and our own National Education Board. Right. I remember there's a certain city, though, in Mexico. I think it was an R. I think was, I want to say Reynosa. Something's coming from my, I can't think of the name of the city. But whoever's in charge, the governor of that of of that place, they had on their goal for the past few years 
to make it like uh, a Silicon Valley, make it a place where it's a hotbed for entrepreneurialism and for technology. And that's what I've been really pushing for. And I, I know Microsoft is heavily involved with the city and a bunch of other companies that I know of. I can't think of the name of the city that's in my life right now. I think it begins with an R. I remember but, Mexico City, and this was interesting. I think it's, you won't believe where I read this. It was like was a little blurb in like Playboy or it was Fast Company. Yeah, Fast Company had a blurb on this. It was Fast Company, and they had it, a blurb. Remember? Pardon? Was it about the city I'm trying to remember the name of? It actually talks about Mexico as a whole. They said, you know, most people think about Mexicans, they think of people who pick beans or, you know, are uneducated, who are very poor. And they think that's it for illegals. I mean, I'm sorry, but I know people who come from Mexico who are engineers here in San Diego. And, yes, they're here illegally, but they're engineers. I mean, I, this is what I specialize is in engineering and mechanical engineering and electrical, right? And these people actually are full-blown engineers, educated, speak English very well, and you would not know that they're illegal because when you're driving down the street. So when I see this, this law, and it's so sad because they're saying, oh, you have to walk with your papers from here on out. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going for a walk with my dog, taking him to a poop. And I am going to be, I'm wearing my, my jeans, I'm wearing my sweats, I'm wearing my tatty shirt. They're going to assume that I'm Mexican, and now I have to have my papers on me. Are they going to ask you, Jim Straw, to do that? Or are they going to ask my husband, who's blonde hair, blue eyed, to do that? Are they going to pull him over because of his walking the dog? No. Wow. Wait, why did this law come about? Is it a law or is it a bill? It's actually a law. Okay. And you, that's why. Wait, wait. Look at the reason behind the law and why it even came about. Now, because haven't they... the same reason that everybody else is out, we need to control immigration. It's the same reason that everybody else, and they said, well, we're doing it on. The government won't do it, so we're doing it. This is what they said, which is ironic because do you know that illegal immigration has gone down three times now in the past three years? Three because times. Really? That's another thing that people don't recognize. And here's another thing. Wait, wait. The U.S. Census. But here's another statistic you might not be aware of. Is it because of efforts like, like this by the state where they're trying to clamp down on it? Because I understand that there are laws on the books that just have not been enforced. This is a law that just I came about that they created. This right. is not a law that was not being enforced. This is a law that they created, which actually their state law is overseed, is superseding right now the, our federal law called the Bill of Rights. This is superseding the Fourth Amendment in every shape, way, or form, not to mention profiling. Okay? You know, but, I mean, you're, you're doing this unreasonable seizures and, and search and seizure. And for what reason? Because are they going to do it to the white guy? Are they going to do it? How are they going to say, well, she looks illegal? What's going to make him or her look illegal? Is it going to be an accent? Is it going to be brown skin? Is it going because there are people who fit your demographics, my demographics, my look, my husband's look, that are also illegal. Are you going to make them walk around with papers? Are you going to go ahead and do in a reasonable search and seizure on a regular white person and expect where's your papers? Okay, let me ask you this. Taking the Arizona, uh, then we're going to switch to a different topic because we're going to try something different with this podcast and stay on, stay on schedule. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Well, oh, I wanted to make one more statistic. Did you know that this is also from the sense? I want to finish this. Let me just finish this. Did you know that crime is not an indicator of illegal immigration? In fact, the states and cities that have the highest population of illegal immigration actually have some of the lowest crime? Yes, I did know that. Okay, now, go ahead. You're going to do it. 
the point, the other thing I want to ask you is I know you're anti-profiling. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Someone comes to the airport. Oh, jeez. They're dressed in a burqa. Oh, jeez. From head to toe, and you cannot, see, you cannot see anything about their body or their face, any identification. All you see is uh, their eyes through a veil, even then that's sort of darkly. Okay. Wait, now they get to the airport, and the guy says, okay, take off your whatever and go through the, through the gate so that you can uh, get you go into the airport. And this person refuses to take off the burqa because it's, it's uh, their religious. That's uh, not going to work. They have to do it. They'll have to do it no matter. Even if it's their religious belief, they still have to do it. Okay. Now, that being said, there's a lot of controversy now about the burqa and, the, and, and, and certain countries banning it. I know uh, President Sarkozy in France got into a, a bit of a controversial storm, and I wrote a lot about it on the Recruiter's Lounge. The question I had, though, when I was, when I was right looking up um, different articles and talking about them was, all this controversy going on in different countries where some countries are banning the burqa or they are push, or on the federal level they're pushing it through the states for different states to make their own individual laws and so forth and so on. It's just a matter of time before we start getting some some um, HMI lawsuits in the workplace where someone says, I wanted to wear a burqa to work. Uh-huh. I got the job. I want to wear my burqa because that's who I am religiously, and you're not going to let me work because I'm wearing a burqa. Okay, I have not- and, and, this is, and this is the person who's saying it's okay to take a gun to work? Let me finish. You talk. I haven't heard of a bunch of cases yet, but I know it's just a matter of time. Really? If you were in HR right now for a major corporation, let's say Exxon, since oil is hot nowadays. Uh-huh. Right? You're the HR manager, uh, the VP of HR at Exxon. Uh-huh. If you hire an executive, and they came to the interview um, in, let's say, normal or, well, not say normal, but in the, in the stereotypical American business suit. Right? Uh-huh. And then over the weekend, they converted to Islam, and they came back and wearing a burqa. That's a woman's, actually, it would be a she, not a he, but go ahead. Okay. Um, and everyone in the office, for lack of a better term, freaked out. Uh-huh. We're not comfortable working with somebody who has, who's covering up everything from head to toe. We don't know who this person is, or we just feel uncomfortable. Are you really, all the, okay, with all the women wearing burkas in the workplace here in America today, you honestly think that that's, okay, go ahead, though, go ahead. Listen, let me finish it before you start talking about it. Go ahead, go ahead. I think if people, multiple complaints come to you saying we're not comfortable with this, uh-huh. how would you respond as the VP of HR in that situation? I would give them a class, a, a, what do you call a, a class in the course in sympathy training <laughs> and an ethnic <laughs> training. <laughs> and, and this is where you would want an ethnic diversity class the right time in that business before you or the company got handled with a lawsuit by the person wearing the burqa for discrimination. I mean, seriously, this is called religious protection, and this would be total religious discrimination in the workplace, okay? I mean, this is where even, okay, a perfect example, I'm going to get off of that part because I'm not safe with this right now. I'm going to use Rastafarian. You know, I don't, I hate the dreadlocks. Grew up with them in my life in the Caribbean. Cannot stand the dreadlocks. I think they're dirty, they're smelly looking, they're nasty, they're just disgusting to me. And UPS decided that they wanted this person to cut off his dreadlocks. Wait, except for Bob Marley. It's religious, babe. I love Bob Marley. Well, yeah, but you see, dreadlocks are religion. It's a religion. It's based on the Rastafarian religion. 
Okay. And the Rastafarian is a full-blown real-life religion, okay? And this guy claimed religious beliefs, and that's why he said no. They fired him, and he won. He won the lawsuit. What, was this a major cup, a major corporation, or a smaller yeah, company? This is UPS. You can actually see this uh, story on Hyrocentrics. You could go ahead and type in search. If you go to Hyrocentrics.com, go into search and type in Rastafarian or Dreadlocks, and you will see the story in the news. We had this story show up. Let me understand. The guy came to work with Dreadlocks. He told him, he told him to cut his hair if he was going to work here. He said no, uh, claiming religious reasons. Right. Sued and won. Right. So by, by that precedence, you're saying someone could do the same thing Come to work one day in, in regular attire, come back the next day full burkered out, and if someone said anything, they could sue and win? If they, you could sue and win also probably on tattoos. Explain. If, called religion, if, they say, if I say that, hey, I've got tattoos on my body because of religious beliefs, there's that a high possibility. It has happened, by the way. But that would have to be after you've been hired in, right? It doesn't matter if you cha- I could okay, I have a question. Do you have the right to change your religion from Baptist to Catholic? Yeah. Okay. Do you then a person who was not was Christian who decides to go become um Muslim is legally right to do so. And part of the Muslim religion, I believe it's the Muslim, please please do not hate me if it, if it is, okay? Maybe Hindu, who knows, okay? But I'm not sure, so I'm not. This is out of respect to the religion, okay? If but, I decided no. to go from being a Christian to Muslim and now decide that I have to wear the, the, the stuff over my head, cover my body up, wear the burqa, that is my legal right to do so in regards to our, which is our first, what's our um, constitutional right there with regards to religion? I can't remember which number it is. Is that number three or five or something like that? Mm. But it's our freedom of religion and expression of religion. Okay, so. So the company would have to give that, if I was HR, I'd be giving those people some really strong sensitivity training. And this is one of the reasons there won't be lawsuits against someone expressing their religious beliefs. But now, here's an issue. Okay, well, hold, on, hold on, before you there, I got a flip side argument for that. Okay. If a company states, and they hear this podcast, and they start freaking out, and they said, okay, I, I, that's not something I want, um, say they have a Hooters. Okay, before I want to, I want to make sure I get the Transportation Security Administration. It was not UPS. I want to make sure I clarify that. The story we have about was was the Transportation Security Administration who had discriminated against a Rastafarian. I could have sworn it was UPS, but this person worked as a baggage screener at Logan International Airport. Okay. And he, he won this one, actually, by the way. But go ahead. You were saying. Are you going to let me finish my point by interrupting? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. What if someone's, someone owns a Hooters franchise? And <laughs> you know the story on this one. Okay, go ahead. You're trying to trip me up, but that's okay. Go ahead. And by the way, there was a claim, there was a claim between UPS and Arrested Parents. So I was not wrong. There was you, one, but go ahead. Let me finish, so wait. Okay, go ahead. All right. So the person gets, uh, becomes a Muslim and comes to work instead of wearing a Hooters, the traditional Hooters uniform, they come in wearing a burqa. Now, I would think that the company could protect themselves with that by having an employee handbook saying that these are the rules, more or less, for all no, the without restriction. Who I want to give you a perfect example. You may have in your employee handbook that you can't have a beard, except for guess what? 
you can't do that legally because you just said we don't really like facial hair except for something. Some people of color, especially black men, have a disease which prevents them from being able to shave. Due to that, it creates a discrimination issue. Wait, 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 wait. What disease is that? I do not remember what it is called. Hold on. I can actually find out something fucking um I'm right there in front of my computer. I've heard of a disease that won't let you cut your won't let you shave your beard. Yeah, okay, here it goes. Facial hair black man um disease. Hold on. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, I'm saying I've never heard of it. And I've yeah, been this is an it's an ingrown it's an actual ingrown that it's called, it has messes with the picturely male facial hair and it creates um because of this by the way this is why the EEOC does does not allow for that request in that saying, okay, here's a go. I actually have a perfect thing from the EEOC, okay? And this is regard to the EEOC saying, hold right on, there we go. Um, employment dis- and physical characteristics. The Title VII prohibition of race Prohibition of race discrimination generally also encompasses physical characteristics based on a personal physical characteristics associated with race, such as person's color, hair, facial features, height, and weight. So one of the things that had to do with this is, and I don't remember the name of the disease, but it is the no-bear policy. Here we go. They use an example. A pizza delivery restaurant has an inflexible no-bear policy. The restaurant fires Jamal, one of his African-American drivers, for remaining, remaining to, failing to remain clean-shaven. Jamal has, here's what it's called. Jamal has a severe case of pseudo-folliculitis barbae, or PFB, an inflammatory skin condition that occurs primarily in black men that is caused by shaving. I have never heard that. So what happens when they shave you? The skin breaks out? What? Well, the severity of the condition varies, but many who suffer from PFB effectively cannot shave at all. So if Jamal were to, or EOC were to challenge the no-bear policy as unlawful because it has a significant negative impact on blacks, the employer would have to prove that the policy is job-related and consistent with business necessity. Okay. In other words, if you're going to make a huge policy, a tight policy, it has to be an objective quali- business qualification. Objective, not subjective. You can't say, well, I want it that way because I like it that way because it looks good. That's subjective. Or because I think my clients are going to like it. That's subjective. We're you going, can have to prove why. We're going to my, my Hooters analogy. Can I put in my handbook that because I'm running a Hooters franchise, that all the women who work here have to wear the, the Hooters uniform, not a burqa. If you can't wear the uniform... Yeah, you and, and, you know, they will win on that. The Hooters would win on that because that is part of the... Why would a person who wears a burqa want to go work at Hooters? I, just to start, just to win a lawsuit and get some money? You know, Actually, people... a man lost a lawsuit on that, too, because a guy wanted to work at Hooters as one of the waitresses, and he, of course, doesn't have the proper... What's the word I'm looking for here? Anatomy. Yeah, that most women do. Hooters because he couldn't. He was felt like he's being discriminated against getting that job. Money. He was trying to get some money. Right, and well, EOC said, "Well, why would you want to do that?" I mean, that's the that's the premise of what Hooters is. Hooters is it's like a man wanting to go ahead and be a striptease at an all man's club. Well, well you can't really do that because 
it's now what that's what the job of the company the job is to it's an all men's club and it's to track men come there to watch women not to watch guys. Unless you want to do that, then go to the gay club. The gay strip club. Right. Or the guy, the guy upon guy who maybe not be gay. Okay, whatever. I mean, I'm being very careful here. But the issue becomes again: is it an objective qualification? That's an objective qualification based upon the job. The job states: I need men, I mean women, to dress slutty, or sorry, not slutty, dress. That they're not dressed slutty. Actually, they look very nice. Um, to dress in these particular outfits that are appealing to the male sex. They are appealing to our to the to the traditional Hooters clientele. That's a much better way of saying it. And please, ladies, I do not think you guys were slept. That was a bad sip of vernacular there. So please forgive me. I mean, and I caught myself really quickly because I do not think I do attend the Hooters. I love the wings. Okay, so just want to make sure I clarify that. Oh, that was not a good thing to do. You have wings. <laughs> good one. <laughs> so, I yeah, I mean, with the burqa, by there. the way, can I, you said something to me that was interesting. You said, well, what? the burqa people can hide guns and they can hide who they are and they hide their identity. Uh, remember, keep it to the workplace, keep it to the workplace, but, yeah, in a workplace setting, that is a concern people would have. Well, so, let me explain this. The workplace, I'm, you know, people come in and wearing their sunglasses. They're, right now we got a woman who has robbed about five banks here in California. And they can't figure out. She, I said they know that she's blonde because she had a ponytail, but she wore this big floppy hat and these huge sunglasses, and she's robbed four banks in a matter of two days. Okay, yeah, in two days, we don't know who she is. Okay, can't figure out who she is and what she look. You know what she looks like because she's wearing American tradition disguise, or what we don't call it disguise, but the American traditional uniform, some big sunglasses and big hats. Okay, and. What's the difference? What's the difference? Think, okay, hold she on. went in the bank with that. Hold on. If you don't think there's a difference. No, there what? is that. I mean, what's the difference? Hey, what's wait, the wait. difference between somebody walking into a place with a burqa with, or Americans going into businesses with a gun and killing people without oh, a burqa on? At least with um, one with the shades and the floppy, floppy hat and so forth, you can get some kind of physical description of what the person looks like, even if you can't really see their face. Really? Like a guy playing inside of a building just recently in Texas? Listen, if someone walks in the room with a burqa, you can assume they're a woman, but you don't really know that. And you can assume a person walking in with a hat and a big floppy hat and a ponytail is maybe it's water wig, and you're hoping it's a definitely a woman, but it may not be either. This guy, what about the, he's a bandit. There's a he's a bandit. He's been around now for a year. They have not caught him, and he has robbed over 20 banks here in San Diego. We got a lot of bank robbers. I'm telling you, but the geezer bandit is—he keeps striking. The guy is amazing, and the reason he's called the geezer bandit because he actually comes in carrying his air tank. He's that old. He's an old guy wearing his baseball hat, got the glasses on, and he's walking in with a, with an air tank, and yet they still haven't caught this guy. Man, the bank guards in California must be must be terrible. I mean, the geezer bandit. Come on, I mean that's what you're. Oxygen tank for stop robbing a bank with an oxygen tank. Yep. Yeah. The geezer. Look it up. The geezer bandit. That's That's what they call him. He has a name. I'm serious. The guy. He was amusing, but he actually like did two banks in the last three days or four days. He's been uh, he's been aggressive the last couple days. Been around for at least a year. 
I, I just think that's I think that's ridiculous. But what but, I'm saying is that you know, you know, the fact is here in America, yes, we have individuals who are terrorists. By the way, it's another thing. You know, people are saying, you know, that we should have we have all these people coming in and they're becoming citizens and they're terrorists. I would rather a person become a citizen and be a terrorist than just come in here unidentified, flipping through the border and being a terrorist. Because at least, like this guy, when he dropped his keys, believe me, his fingerprints were on those keys, which meant his fingerprints were in a computer. They know who I am. The government knows everything about me because I had to go through so much background check. So much information just to get my green card for less my citizenship. So at least I'm in a database. I would rather somebody becoming naturalized and beginning, you know, and hopefully they'll change their mind and hopefully they'll kind of like, like this guy, he's spilling his guts. He, because of him, the America has managed to arrest four, we've managed to arrest like four people now in the last couple of days. So he obviously had some kind of loyalty because I honestly think the guy screwed up on purpose. I honestly do. I don't think he had the heart to go through with it because he honestly did a really bad job. He did it wrong. He did it bad. He dropped his keys. He left. actually left his keys in the truck. He did have the wrong manure. I mean, it wasn't like he hadn't been taught. He had gone overseas and everything. He had everything completely wrong. I mean, to me, his heart wasn't in it. I mean, Twitch is a good... Uh, so he's a good terrorist because he has a heart now. No, I'm not saying that he should be. No, he's still a terrorist. Please forgive me. I mean, don't for, he's a terrorist. He's still a jerk. He needs to go down the way terrorists should be treated. Okay, what he did, he still went overseas. He still got caught up in it. But the thing is, we got to look at it. He's squealing. He's talking. I've never heard of a terrorist talk like this guy has, right? Have you? Have you ever watched TV and hear all these terrorists talking? No. He's giving false information or... No, they arrested four people. Or they have Jack Bauer working on him. Well, yeah. yeah, there you go. This, but he arrested, they arrested 14 people in Massachusetts in the last, what was it, 48-hour and 48-hour period. I mean, he's talking. And so that's a good thing. Maybe he has maybe he has some sensitivity to being American and living yeah. here and having his kids go to school here and having making friends with the neighbors and stuff. Maybe there's some sensitivity that came from it. So personally... I would, if we're going to have a terrorist, because we can't get away from that. We'd rather we don't have terrorism. I can't stand terrorism. I think, of course, it's all wrong in every country, in every way, in every facet, whether the terrorists be overseas in Iraq or here in America. But you're saying you have no problem with someone walking into an office and wearing a burqa every day. But I, that would be me also saying that, okay, I don't want you actually coming into my office and telling me anything about God. She actually is against the law, too. You can't. That's called Christianity, you know, protection. I mean, that's religious discrimination. You have to remember, okay, I hate this, but I love this at the same time. There's a saying that is out there. It's one of the best things. I may not like what you say, but I'll defend it to the death for your right to say it. It's the same thing. We have a constitution and uh, Lincoln actually had made, he made a comment. He said, don't interfere with anything in the Constitution. That must be maintained, for it is the only safeguard of our liberties. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. And i got to tell you, it's true. You know, if the moment we mess with somebody's religious rights, the moment that we mess with ethnic profiling, 
The moment we mess with somebody's ethnic rights is the moment that they're also mess with your rights in regards to what you want to do. If I say I don't like you saying the word nigger, I'm using that word. Okay, if I say I don't like you using the word spick, if I say I don't like you using those words and I'm going to ban you from saying those words, then you know what? That means I have to ban you from saying the word honky. I can't say that either. That means I can, that you have the right to ban me from saying I don't like you saying anything. The moment we do that, the moment we start oppression one person's rights, we have the right to oppress everybody else's. And that's the problem in America we frame to forget. We love our Constitution. We love our Bill of Rights. But yet, we want to go ahead and go, oh, safety, safety, safety? Can you tell me in one instance ever that a person with a burqa, a woman, actually a woman in a burqa at a workplace actually kills someone? Um, can you tell me of any instances where white men in America have gone into offices and killed people? And which is more? which has happened more prevalently, which has happened quite frequently in the past year. I understand what you're saying, but my, my standpoint on it is that um, there are a lot of countries who see it as a threat. Actually, can I make a comment to you? Yeah, United make, Kingdom. Make a, make a comment, and then you can make a comment. Okay, go ahead. All right. A lot of, a lot of countries see it as a threat. A lot of countries are banning the full, and this, again, when I say burger, I mean... I'm only I'm not talking about wearing a headdress, which I have no problem with. I'm yeah. talking about Sweden when they did the pool I'm thing, and then they're, they're fighting it right now. So, no, not a lot of companies are not, countries are not. Let me finish the point. Then you can come back. Okay. The point I'm trying to say is I'm not against, uh, make, make sure my point is clear, not against wearing a headdress, not against wearing uh, a headscarf, I'm not, wearing, not against any of that stuff. A burger covers the entire body. And you can only see their eyes sometimes because there are some burgers where you don't even see the eyes. You see netting so they can see through, like, through the mesh of it. Mm -hmm. Something like that, I, I'm uncomfortable with that being in a public place because that is, secure, that is a security threat. Not saying that's an indictment against a particular religion. Because mm -hmm. anybody who is – I mean, I could put one on and go out and do something. And, and if I did something crazy with it on, then it makes the religion look bad. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying it's a, it's a threat to security because you don't know who's underneath it. Underneath it. You can't well, see them it's at a all. Threat to security, like in an airport, it's against, you couldn't wear the burqa to security. Sorry, it wouldn't be allowed to happen because the security prevalent, the law comes into place. Thank Bush for that, by the way. Okay? Thanks, Bush. National security, actually, and um, Clinton actually got involved with that. The same argument could apply in a workplace. And no, it doesn't apply to the workplace. You have to prove, you have to show a, pro, a, a business necessity and prove where that has happened. You can't. I can't prove what. Let me just give a heads up again to anyone. You're talking about other countries. United Kingdom is killing off their national ID card program because they called it a part of substantial erosion of civil liberties that took place under the former Labour government. Okay, the parties have agreed to scrap the National Identity Register, which is a computer system storing information from biometric passports and ID cards under our development of the UK's Identity and Passport Service and Border Agency. They felt it was, they just felt it was just the worst thing to do in regards to people's civil liberties. Other countries recognize civil liberties. We're not the only one. They, England has more terrorism than we do. I mean, seriously. 
They have more bombings going on over there. But yet they recognize that necessity for civil liberties is more important at times as well. And that's the issue you have to look at. Look, you're a black man, and just less than 40 years ago, you, my dear, would not have been able to work at any of the jobs that you've had because it wasn't right for your type to be in that type of environment. For let's go to school. Right, and still, that's, that had, but as I walk into a room, they could look at me from a racial perspective. Yeah, so, but they weren't doing it from a racial perspective. They banned you from. I have no idea. They banned you from being in the schools. They banned you from being able to be able to be who you were. They banned you from being able to work in these jobs. That was just thirty years ago. Karen, that's two separate issues. That's not. What is the separate issue? Because you ask the difference between your race or your religion. This is nothing about race. I'm talking about someone coming in, the, coming into the office place, or even coming to the airport, which is against the law, which I'm glad, and wearing uh, an outfit that I can't see them from head to toe entirely. The office is not a your their office again. When has there been a situation where because there has not been one? Does not mean that it won't be one. Pardon me. Because there has not been one, does not mean that there won't be one. And I'm not saying putting on a burqa would mean automatically that everyone should start being nervous and scared. Argument. They, they, back in the 40s, they I'm used to tell white women, walk, if you see a black man, walk across the street because all black men were cocaine addicts. You're not letting me talk. You're talking over me. Listen, then I'll let you see your point, and then I'll do my point. Okay. If someone walks in there, I would say, if I was writing the employee handbook, I would say, I want... It should be in there that if you want to wear your headscarf or other religious stuff, that's cool. Just don't wear something where I can't see you from head to toe, from top to bottom. I just, I just, I would put that in the employee handbook and make that for everyone so that it would be fair. It would not be discriminatory. And just because someone. It's discriminatory because of religious beliefs. Wait. Just because some crazy person who is not Islamic, who is not Muslim, decides to put it on and do something crazy so that the Muslim would get blamed for it. That's the, that's the same kind of concern I'm talking about. It's not against a particular religion. It's just a particular dress. Okay. And it's crazy. But you're saying it's, it's just crazy as well because a person can wear sunglasses, a floppy hat, put a gun under a big trench coat, and do the same things. I'm sorry, didn't you watch The Matrix? I mean, let's go. What about those guys who went into those schools in Colo and Columbine? God help me for saying this, but they were wearing those trench coats and had their guns underneath their because they wanted to pretend they were of the Matrix and they had guns underneath these trench coats. It doesn't take a burqa to go ahead and do a crime. But that was common sense. Someone at the door just said, "Hey, why are y'all wearing these long trench coats? I don't understand. Let me see. Let me investigate. Let me see what's going on." Really? Do you honestly think that we would have thought that? If the okay. same the same argument applies. No, actually, the same argument doesn't apply because you're saying school should have had should have. Hold on, you're telling me in the middle of winter, a person walking into a bank or a person walking into a hotel or a person walking into a, a airport in the middle of winter wearing a long dark trench coat should be stopped and told he can't wear that. In America? You're talking about Columbine. That happened in the summertime. I'm talking about anywhere now. We're using the because I'm using your argument. You're saying a well, summertime can be covered up under Berker. Pardon? It was a sunny, hot day in Columbine, and they came in wearing these long trench coats. That should have been a red flag to somebody to say, what is going on? That is what I'm talking about. 
I, no, I'm not going to even go there. I'm not even going there. Nobody should, A, have to tell you told how to dress, number one. And number two, those guys had no idea that somebody was going to come in there and kill people. If they no. wanted to wear a long trench coat, they should be able to do so. And nobody should go ahead and have to assume that they were going to try to shoot someone. Come on. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to go there. That's, that one I'm dropping. We're not going to blame any of the Columbine for this. There's no precedent for it. No, they, there's no precedent either. I, I can't tell you that you legally cannot wear trench coats into somewhere else because you don't want to. I'm saying someone, I'm, this, this is the thing about precedents. Before September 11th, nobody thought twice about somebody could put a, fly a plane into a building. Right. So but since it happened, now there's a precedent where you have to watch people who, who um, buy these planes, you have to watch the air traffic or all that kind of stuff they're doing now that they didn't have to do before because there's a precedent. Before Columbine, before the long trench coat, no one would have thought somebody would do that. But mm-hmm. since we've done that, it's a precedent. Let's use precedent. Let's use precedent. Let's talk business. Uh, there was a precedent with regards to the Great Depression that fraud happens because of the stock market and banks can cause corruption, which creates a huge Great Depression. Same thing happened, but we didn't stop it from happening. We allowed the former president to continue to create laws that um, to actually remove laws and take away laws that created less regulation for the financial institutions. We should have had a precedent. There was, actually, but they removed those laws. Wasn't Sarbanes-Oxley part of that? Pardon? Wasn't Sarbanes-Oxley a result of that but kind of... They removed of- Sarbanes-Oxley. There was a guy named, I think his name was Fox or Cox. I can't remember the last name right now, okay? Hey, Sarbanes-Oxley still in effect? This company still in no, they removed most of the law, the stringency of... It's in set, but they removed a lot of the stringency of it. And the SEC, the guy that oversaw the SEC and, and oversaw much of the NASDAQ and et cetera, he said there was too much regulation, so he removed much of the regulation that was overseeing these banks and financial institutions, which allowed them to get away with this. I mean, <laughs> I remember, um, what's his name, Madoff? He, did you know he used to head the NASDAQ, by the way? And he actually said two years before he got busted that there, he, could never, he would never be able to get away with doing with what he did because there was too many regulations and laws in in the uh, in the exchange and et cetera, which was not true, because Cox or Fox, can remember what his name again, and he actually withdrew and took away much of the regulation, and so again, you would think there would be a press. By the way, the Great Depression. If you wanted to go ahead and wonder know how the Great Depression happened, it almost is carbon copy to what happened this one. We're almost out of time. But let's let's go another time, okay? We're talking precedent. And, again, just because we have a precedent, I have a precedent that if I go into the water, I might drown. But does that mean I stop swimming? Or if I go in my car, I might have an accident. Does that mean that we should have all people no longer be able to fly a plane? Because no, but it means you be, should be more cautious. An American flu, an American man, American white male, just a couple months ago, flew a plane, into the IRS building in Texas. So does that mean because he did it too, we should make sure that no white male should be allowed to go ahead and fly planes? Not a white male, but it should be some sort of thing about air traffic and some, whatever air traffic control should have been doing differently or something. I don't know how that part works. But well, that's just it. You don't know. And that's the part that we aren't trained in those areas. But we do have laws that protect I was responding to you. But those laws are there to protect us. Again. Just because a person 
wears a trench coat or a trench coat to kill individuals at Columbine doesn't mean that everybody wearing a trench coat is going to kill someone. That's That's true. With the Matrix. We still have people who are totally into the Matrix. Yeah, and still, because something happened, you have to be more watchful for next time so it doesn't happen again. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. I know what I'm saying. You're you're into cartoons, right? Yeah, you know I am. Okay, you're you're huge into cartoons. What happens if some guy knew that there was a cartoon conference in San Diego, which is huge down here, by the way, and they went ahead and they decided they were going to use, dress themselves up as one of the characters and then decide to go ahead and blow up a bank or blow up a, a business. Does that mean that we should stop allowing anybody to dress in cartoon characters? We should no longer have cartoon conferences because one guy did that? Should we set that precedent? You're pulling a, you're pulling. So that a, is reality. I'm pulling the same thing you're pulling. I think you're missing the whole point of what I'm saying. Well, no, no, I'm not, because I'm dressed in disguise. It's a, the person's in a disguise. He's wearing a costume. Let me respond. People around the world are not dressing up like cartoon characters and doing things. I'm using your example. People aren't walking around the world dressing in burkas all over the place either. I know they're not, but I'm saying... There are people who do dress in cartoon characters at different conventions. You're going to keep talking. Go ahead. What I'm trying to say is that a lot of countries are setting up or seeing that it's a potential threat. I can understand it's a potential no, they're threat. they're not. They're, I, so potential threat. I see it. I say now, there's no problem with wearing a headscarf or something like that, but I would be against, uh, I would have in my, if I had a big corporation, if I was a BV HR, I would have it in my handbook saying that if you work here, part of the things that, part of the employee handbook is that, you cannot wear something that, can, that hides your entire identity from him. You have to prove to the EOC when you get, when, not an if, when you get sued, why that is business necessity. I would speak with an employment lawyer before I put that in the handbook to make sure I was covered. I would not just listen lawyer to the lawyer will tell you you can't. Would talk that to the is a religious belief. It is a religious outfit. It is a religious form of dress. And just because you have your racial stereotype going on and your racial stereotype of fear going on. It's not a matter of religion. It's not a matter of... It is a matter of religion for them. It's a matter of, I guess guess the best thing to say is security, because I don't know who this person is coming in. Now, what if somebody... Okay, now, what if someone converses um, with the worker one day, they, they call out sick one day, but then somebody else comes in, and everybody assumes it's the first person, and they do something that, that, brings, um, that brings a threat to the office. Sure. People so recognize them via their eyes, okay? First but off. You may not even see their eyes. No, you're not. This is reality. You recognize people via their eyes. That's number one. Number, I mean, you're going down to the ridiculous. It's not pret- Look, this is pretzel logic now, okay? Again, I'm going to give you a straight up. Wait, wait. Go ahead and say no to the burqa. Wait a second. Finish it in 30 seconds. We're out of time. 30 seconds. Finish it. Give you the last word. No to the burqa would also then therefore have to say no to a person wearing a costume in any shape where from they say no to Halloween. It's saying no to anything that you're saying. I'm doing it because of fear, and I want to make sure people don't do this because it can cause potential for you got to then say get say no to the trench coat. you got to say no to mode of dress. you got to say no to a lot of other issues. To choose to say that a person wearing a burqa 
can create crime is the same as saying to someone wearing a wig and putting on makeup. A woman putting on makeup can cause crime. I can change the features, my features, by wearing makeup. So why not tell a woman she's not allowed to wear makeup? I can change exact everything about my appearance by putting a wig on and putting on makeup. Okay. If you want to continue this conversation uh, between Karen and I, by all means, either you can contact Karen at Karen at HigherCentrics.com, correct? Yes. Or you can reach me at JimStride at JimStride.com. And you know what? Uh, leave your comments on this podcast, which is featured on the Recruiter's Lounge, and it may also be featured on the Higher Centrics as well. Leave your comment and let us know what you think. We talk and argue like this all the time, but we do love each other. Yeah, you know what? We probably won't have this conversation anymore because we can tell this is definitely going to be a heated conversation. I think it's political correctness gone amok, but that's just me. We Uh, did go on politically correct on this whole thing, didn't we? Oh, especially even me. I slipped up a couple of times. And we didn't get to the third. It was a final story. Although we are out of time, we're going to still really quickly touch on that last topic we we're going to talk about, which is about recruiters going to jail for charging candidates really quickly. You know, we don't have time for it. I'm going to put it in because it's an important story. It was, it was something we were discussing in the Higher Centrics Forum. There was a story about uh, recruiters going to jail for charging candidates for finding them a job or something like that. Yeah, there are several of them, actually. Colorado had, I think it was like five or six individuals all at one time. And then Minnesota just also, Minnesota um, had their attorney general sue another employment agency. I mean, he was ripping them off bad. I mean, this right now is, and I link what, if you go to Hirocentrics and then go to the forum, we have a post in there in regards to the fraud in, in the forum. And one of the things that was interesting, New York City said that most employers, employment firms, run a con job. And they, when they said most, they meant over than 50% they believe run a con job. Well, my concern isn't so much that they're saying that. My concern is that they actually went ahead and made that survey. They went out and did that investigation. But just what they stated was the abuses in the employment agencies are some of the most egregious, said the Consumer Affairs Commissioner Jonathan Mintz. And they said when the economy gets worse, the risk becomes greater, and for some, the temptation to take advantage of others become greater. And so they said predatory agencies are often found um, charging fines, are often fined for recruiting upfront fees for job hunting services. See, most states recognize that if you're going to charge, you have to be bonded in that state, which means if I'm in New York and I'm bonded in the state of New York, I can only work with candidates and employees in the state of New York. What if you you have clients um, in, uh, if you're in New York, and you're licensed in New York, but you have clients in California or Washington. And well, you've got to hope that they don't have any light, any state laws if you're going to charge candidates in California or Washington. Because California, like, for example, if I'm in California, this is what happened with a guy in Colorado, because he's they got hit hard in Colorado, but now other states are coming after that guy in Colorado because he also went ahead and hurt people in other states. He charged candidates in other states that also have laws in regards to this. So, you know, if there are most states, and I say most, the majority of states in America have laws that say you have to be, A, bonded in the state that you're practicing, um, and that means required, and it requires a specific limit of the fee you can charge the candidate, and you cannot charge the candidates any upfront fees. 
It means that it comes out of the paycheck on a monthly basis for as long as they get out their job. They have the job. So you get a couple hundred here, a couple hundred here, until a couple months later or a year later, whatever you guys agree to. So you take it out as just like attempt to hire kind of a situation where they're paying for it. But, again, there's a limit, and you can't – there's a major cap. You can, I think the cap was like 15% of the person's annual income, not the total compensation. 15%. And there was a cap for school teachers. You couldn't charge more than a, a particular percentage for school teachers in most states as well. And so most recruiters, and I've seen this happen a lot, I've seen them on places like those other sites that are trying to be like higher centrics, but they're they're not going to make they're not anything like it because they don't have the good stuff like we do, you know. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Those sites will have people out there saying, "I want to start charging candidates," and they will put it online. And I'm thinking, dude, you can't do that. Sure, well, you outplacement services. I don't, isn't that what outplacement services do? Or that actually they charge the company, though, don't they? Outplacement services can do it again if you're again you can if you're bonded. And you're bonded in the states where you're charging the candidates. And then you also follow the laws of those states. And there's a lot of outplacement services that get shut down fast and hard. You know how many outplacement services are shut down on a monthly, daily, and yearly basis? You didn't hear that, did you? Okay. What did you say? You said they shut down fast and hard. I said that's what she said. Uh, I didn't hear that. But no, seriously, we got to end soon. But uh, we got two more minutes. But seriously, outplacement firms shut down a lot because they don't follow the laws of the game. And the thing is, is that people think it's easy, quick money. I'm going to charge a person to go ahead and help them get a job. That is considered to be fraud and a con. You cannot. I cannot. Why? Okay. I can't guarantee you that I'll find you a job. I can't guarantee you when the the client pays me, and I can't guarantee you when the candidate pays me. And if I've got eight candidates I'm working on my desk for, that's 10 or 20 or 30, how am I going to be able to really push to get them a job? So the companies are saying they guarantee the people that they hire them, that they guarantee them a job? The moment that you take money, you're guaranteeing. Think about it. The moment you say, hey, I'll help you, a person is paying you, because they're hoping that you, they're saying, I believe that you'll get me one. That's the, that is what a reasonable expectation is. Especially when you're free recruiter, there's all these other recruiters who are helping you out for free. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So I come to you and I say, I need a job, and you say, okay, if you hire me, I will get you a job. Just do what I tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And so and I pay you X amount of dollars, and I'm waiting for you to get me a job. Mm-hmm. Do what you say, or, or even if I don't do anything but give you some money. Mm-hmm. And if I have a job two weeks later, I could try to sue you because I paid you X amount of dollars for job hunting advice or your advice, and I don't have a job yet. Well, actually, well, these guys don't just pay for advice. That's what a lot. If you're paying for just advice, by the way, there's a cap for just giving advice and jobs too. Okay, that's what those outplacement firms do. They give for um, that's why they're like only supposed to be up to three thousand or four thousand dollars just for doing resumes and out and advice. If you're just giving advice. No guarantee. Just look, I'm giving you advice. I'm not helping you talk to clients. I'm not client doing any knocking the doors for you. That's a totally different thing. You still have to be bonded for that. There's still laws to deal with that. But that, that whole thing is still protected as well. But what these guys are doing, they're saying, and I've seen some of the contracts. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this. Okay, Jim, you call me up and say, I want a job. I say, okay, Jim, I'm going to help you get a job. 
you have to sign my contract. You will not work with any other recruiter. You will not send your resume to any other person. When I send, call you up to say you've got to go to an interview, you will go, and you'll accept the job that I present to you. If you don't, then you're messed up. And you also will pay me a, a, a retainer of X amount of dollars to do so. So what, so what if you gave me a job working at, you know, I don't know, Walmart? You sign a contract, too bad. You don't like it, then you know what? I keep the money, and that's your only recourse. I can pay you all this money, and then you say, okay, here's your job at Walmart. And I said, this isn't the $100,000 job I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I was on this Chicago Yahoo group. Somebody had invited me to because of this. They had asked me to because this guy had written in asking. He put his contract out. I couldn't believe some recruiters were actually going, yeah, there's no problem. Other recruiters were like, hell no, you know. I, I was like, whoa. I, first thing I said was contact your attorney general. And, of course, you know, I could hear in my background somebody saying, oh, I can't believe you'd want to turn in one of your, your peers. Listen, anybody who's frauding, are defrauding anybody in this industry, any client, any competitor, any candidate, anyone. If there's a person who's doing fraud in this industry or doing breaking the law, they're not a pair of mine, and you darn right, it's my civic and legal responsibility to turn them in. Or not, actually, I won't turn them in, but I would make suggestions to the individual to turn them in. If somebody comes to me and says, what should I do, I would give them the name and number for the EOC or the Attorney General. Please understand that. Will I call the EOC? Will I call the AG? No. It's not my business. I didn't get hurt. It wasn't my issue. I wouldn't call. I won't convince that person to do it. It's not my business either. But I would suggest to them, this is what your recourse is. I want to make sure I clarify that because I'm not going to be the perfect person that sits on there and goes, oh, well, just let it go. No. Sorry. Anybody who's defrauding the government, they're also defra- uh, defrauding people. They're defrauding the government. They're defrauding our nation. And they're harming people. And they're harming my reputation as a recruiter, too. And you're making my job harder, and you're no pair of mine. Okay, we're talking the real hard stuff. Now, we're way over time at this point. Well, I know. It's a hard stuff, and that mean. I mean, I'm sorry, but, yeah. It was a fun conversation, though. It was interesting. But actually, what I tell people, one last thing, know the laws of your state. Don't wind up. We're winding down. We're winding down. Breathe in. Know the laws of your state. Before you have the recruiter, it's your responsibility. We're in the employment industry. There's more laws that regulate what we do for a living. Know the laws of your state and know the laws of the state of your candidates. Whether you charge employees or not, know the laws. That's it. You sure? Mm-hmm. You positive? Mm-hmm. Thank you if you're still listening, and if, we, if you're still awake, which, you know, uh, is doubtful at this point. Of course. Uh, thank you for listening to the HR Smackdown. Um, if you want more of the HR Smackdown, check it out at The Recruiter's Lounge or at HireCentrics.com. Have everybody, let's give Jim a standing ovation. He now speaks up. Have you noticed he's got a voice now? That's why we changed it to HR Smackdown because now he's smacking down and having an opinion. I've always had opinion. Yeah, you have to keep it to yourself. Now you're actually speaking out. Not because you were so wrong. But this <laughs> will go on. Yeah, we're gonna, Karen and I, we are going to continue this conversation offline. We're going to press, we're going to fight, and then we'll be friends at the end of the day. But, uh, please tell your friends to check out therecruiterslounge.com or hirecentrics.com where you get more of this kind of uh, debate and banter and so forth and so on. All right, so until next time, I'll say bye-bye.
No, you're loved. Uh, whatever. This is the HR Smackdown. HR Smackdown. HR Smackdown. Some of the music provided tonight from Nevio's Music Alley. Check it out at music.nevio.com. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Hey, do you need a public speaker for your next meeting or event? If so, email me. You can catch me via email at jimstroud, G-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D, at jimstroud.com. I speak a lot about the future of work, and my latest speech, Big Brother in the Office, is one sure to raise eyebrows. Here's uh, some of what you can expect. Fifteen minutes ago, the world changed. Social media has caused, or greatly contributed to, a mental health epidemic. As a result, companies had to hire smart in order to protect their interests. So what are they turning to? Well, advanced technologies that monitor the emotional fitness of their workers, artificial intelligence scanning the faces of candidates for truth, microchipping employees, and other means. All of these methods may improve overall efficiency and the bottom line of the enterprise, but at what cost? When does the collection and tracking of employee data go too far? How much privacy should an interviewee or an employee expect to have? And most importantly, how will these practices affect the future world of work? In my presentation, uh, I point out a few things. I point out just how far technology has progressed and what you can expect to see in the very near future. I discuss the pros and cons of leveraging this cutting edge technology like uh, biometrics, for example. And then I also discuss the societal impact of present day surveillance techniques in recruitment practices and the overall world of work. If you like the type of futuristic topics I discuss here in my podcast, then you will love the information I share in my presentation, Big Brother in the Office. Email me now and let's talk about it. Again, my email address, Jim Stroud, G-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D at jimstroud.com. Operators are standing by. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always... Happy reading. reading.